You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch, here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us during this important but terrible week for our constitutional republic. The president is lawlessly impeached, and the coup attack continues not only against the president but the United States Senate. I'll give you a briefing on that. Uh, Judicial Watch was in court this week uh, on the Clinton email and Benghazi scandals. Uh, You wouldn't believe what went on in court. I'll talk to you about that. Plus, we have a new lawsuit challenging the coup cabal. Specifically, we have a lawsuit against Adam Schiff over those phone records he illicitly obtained in his uh, crazed impeachment attack on the president. So I'll give you an update on that. Plus, the FISA courts are finally highlighting the corruption at the FBI. Is it a day late and a dollar short? Well, you might guess what I think about all that. So a lot to talk about. Uh, Obviously, the big news first is the unprecedented abusive impeachment of President Trump by the Pelosi Schiff coup cabal. And uh, I hate to use the word impeachment because it suggests uh, some constitutionality to the activity that took place, some legitimacy to the activity took place. This was about as illegitimate an act of Congress as has ever been committed uh, in the history of our nation. You had the House of Representatives impeach the president for doing his job, for trying to figure out whether U.S. aid should flow to Ukraine uh, because of the the corruption issues there, and for daring to assert his authority under the Constitution and as a United States citizen to object to uh, overbroad and unconstitutional inquiries into the operations of his White House and his staff Uh, by Congress. So according to this impeachment effort, if you ask questions about Joe Biden, you'll get impeached. According to this coup, if you object to to Adam Schiff uh, asking for executive privilege materials and you object, as other presidents have done, you'll get impeached. So this is a completely lawless power grab and it's it's an attack that is based on a pretext. So there's really no basis for impeachment. They made it up as they went along. And I'm going to take a step back uh, because uh, you have to put this in the context of the full, the the longstanding attack on our nation's institutions and abuses of power by the Obama gang, its allies in Congress, uh, through the Obama administration and well into the presidency, Barack, uh, President Trump, uh, which is culminating in this uh, unlawful coup attack on the president. In 2010, the Supreme Court ruled uh, against the McCain-Feingold bill and uh, allowing citizens groups to more fully participate in our nation's public policy debates and election campaigns. Now, the left, which hates the First Amendment, Uh, wanted to restrict the ability of Americans to oppose deep state politicians and leftist politicians or establishment and incumbent politicians. So they were outraged. And so uh, contemporaneous with that, you had the rise around that time of the Tea Party. And so what the Obama gang did with their allies in Congress and their leftist allies in the nonprofit community, they began pressuring the IRS to suppress the Tea Party movement and the new groups given new life by the Supreme Court decision. 
So they tried to get around the Supreme Court decision by having the IRS regulate the heck out of these, agent, uh, out of these uh, citizens groups, namely the Tea Party and Republican-oriented groups. They targeted their donors. They sent out harassing questionnaires as these Tea Party groups were uh, trying to follow the law, actually went beyond the standards required under law and started filing applications with the IRS, and the IRS stalled those applications because they didn't want them to operate against the president, who was then seeking re-election. And on top of that, it was Judicial Watch that uncovered that the FBI, run by Robert Mueller, and the Justice Department were collaborating with Lois Lerner's IRS to think of ways to prosecute uh, the leadership of these very same groups. They wanted to put them in jail. And this was going up on up until it was discovered in 2013 uh, that this was happening. And in fact, the FBI had gotten the IRS records on uh, what's like, I think it was over a million pages or a million files, it doesn't really matter, it was all lawlessly obtained on these, on these uh, citizens groups. And uh, they had to return them after it was exposed by Judicial Watch and Jim Jordan over in Congress. So everyone wondered what happened to the Tea Party in 2012, those of you who remember, because it was this powerful movement in 2010 that helped Republicans take control of Congress, and uh, it disappeared during the 2012 election. Well, it disappeared because the IRS suppressed it under Barack Obama in league with the FBI and the Justice Department and a host of other federal agencies. So that's how you had an election stolen in plain sight. And so come around to 2016, there were additional challenges. You had Barack Obama, the first president in 100 years to involve himself as directly as he did in the presidential campaign. You had Hillary Clinton, a compromised candidate who, thanks to Judicial Watch, uh, her email scandal was exposed, our lawsuit exposed it, our lawsuits and FOIAs exposed it. It led to pretend criminal investigations, but publicly they were seen as criminal investigations. It led to the exposure at Judicial Watch's lawsuits also, led to the exposure of the play-to-play -play operation she was running out of the State Department. And contemporaneous with that, you had Donald Trump emerging as the likely candidate for the presidency and certainly he had it sewed up early in 2016. So what to do? Well, A, you got to protect Hillary. B, you have to target President Trump, or then candidate Trump. And so the Obama administration embarked on an unprecedented spying operation and intelligence gathering operation and smear operation against the presidential candidate of the party seeking to replace President Obama. You had the spying begin as soon as April 2016, probably earlier than that. According to the IG report, it officially happened, I think it was the end of July. And they sent people to spy on the Trump team. They were recording their conversations. They had, they, and, and as the IG noted, and, and as the Washington Times noted today, yes, they did have spies in the Trump campaign. And then they wanted to escalate it. They weren't getting enough dirt, evidently. So they came up with this FISA fraud scheme, which was used to bamboozle the courts, who were asleep at the switch, and I'll talk about that later. 
And uh, then you had um, it transformed into the Mueller operation, that once President Trump was elected, they were completely outraged. They began undermining him, obviously, even after he was elected, but before he took the office. And then after he took office, they continued to smearing and the, and the harassment of the president through the Mueller operation. And that continued to the end of this year, or the early part of this year. And they weren't getting traction in using the Mueller report because the president was innocent. So they've concocted this Ukraine smear in by working with deep state allies in the White House, the State Department, and the CIA with Democrats in Congress, namely Adam Schiff, to concoct this Ukraine smear against President Trump. So it began, this, this, this approach, this massive abuse of power, where you had politicians and elected and appointed officials misuse the powers entrusted to them by the American people to target politicians they don't like and try to destroy them. It's sedition, it's conspiracy, it's obstruction of justice, it's perjury. The list of crimes goes on and on that were committed uh, against us, the American people, against President Trump, against Carter Page, and yeah, dare I say it, even some of those guys who were convicted or, or in the case of General Flynn, admitted to lying. That's how this all began, and it's now metastasized into the worst abuse of power by uh, the House of Representatives in American history. The worst abuse of power. No crime. And on top of that, after this impeachment charade was endorsed by the House, no Republicans voted for it, so completely partisan. And just because it's partisan, by the way, it doesn't mean, in theory, it's wrong. I don't buy into that. I mean, certainly a corrupt president potentially could convince all of his party to support him, even though he's corrupt. But in this case, the partisanship highlights the lack of foundation for the impeachment. They couldn't convince one Republican, many of whom would be more than happy to see President Trump leave office. But there were no facts, no crime. I call it the great defamation of the President of the United States. This gossip girl impeachment that's based on nothing. I mean, I could go on and on about how outrageous it is, but it's an attack and affront to the Constitution, it's an attack to the, on the presidency, and it's an attack on your right to select your own leaders. It's called self-government. And the left and the political class that runs this city, the Democratic Party, specifically in this case, is seeking to steal your right to govern yourselves. And forget about the power grab, it's, it's petty as well, because what they're also trying to do is protect themselves from having to go to jail. Not to put too fine a point on it. What do I mean? We're impeaching you because you're asking questions about Joe Biden. So we're not allowed to ask questions about Joe Biden. We're impeaching you despite evidence 
confirmed and reconfirmed by the IG that for three years the President of the United States was being victimized by all the agencies of the federal government who let it be known and let it lay out there that he was colluding with the Russians and there was a legitimate basis for an investigation. When in point in fact they knew since before he came into office that there was no such evidence. They were lying about it and they were trying to figure out ways to use those lies to put this man in jail. And he starts asking questions about this very issue as it ties to Ukraine and he gets impeached. And to confirm that this coup attack is broader than just about going after the president, you have Nancy Pelosi in ways that I don't think any normal American or scholar of the Constitution or educated layman, whatever you want to call it, would ever guess, has decided to try to withhold the articles of impeachment to leverage quid pro quo anyone, a show trial in the United States Senate. They've abused this president six ways this Sunday, rolled over his civil rights. They've got his phone records illicitly. They were violating his attorney-client privilege. They gave him no rights to due process in the House. And now they want to do the same thing in the Senate. So the coup attack is not only on overturning the presidency, but overturning the Senate. So Merry Christmas, America. Your, your republic is under attack. What are you going to do about it? You need to call your senators and demand action. One of the things I broached this week, in an effort, I thought if it was raised soon or before the impeachment vote, it might have been able to stop the impeachment, but they didn't want to talk about it. The senators didn't. Was having a preliminary trial, a preliminary hearing, a mini-trial, so to speak, on the prosecutorial misconduct I've laid out by Adam Schiff and others about his collusion with the CIA leaker, or leakers, depending on how far it goes, his illicitly getting those phone records, and the other abuses of due process on the president. So you have this preliminary trial, this preliminary hearing, this mini-trial that has as its center Adam Schiff. Now you don't, need the full, you don't need a full Senate impeachment trial to figure this out. The Senate can designate a committee, the Judiciary Committee or a special committee, to hear witnesses and, and advise the full Senate what it found. It's not, it's not a trial in the criminal sense of the word, although it has elements of it. But it often happens in litigation that courts look at these initial issues before they allow litigants or prosecutors, in this case, to get a full trial. Prosecutorial misconduct sometimes gets cases thrown out. Failure to state a claim sometimes gets fake cases thrown out civilly. So what Pelosi is doing now is trying to abuse her authority to guarantee a certain trial that, as I say, denies the president due process rights, 
those of us concerned about the Constitution and the rule of law should be thinking of ways that uh, allows the Senate to consider this impeachment that doesn't continue to abuse the President of the United States. I've never thought a trial is appropriate uh, as a response to this coup. The Senate shouldn't be hijacked by the House. I've been saying that almost since the get-go. And, and, and to kind of to prove my point, Nancy Pelosi says, I want to hijack the Senate. And the pushback should be, you know what? You are going to be on trial in the Senate, Nancy Pelosi. Your minion, Adam Schiff, violated all these rules, issued a subpoena that may very well be illegal for phone records, violated the president's attorney-client privilege, and may have improperly, through his staff, gained access to classified information. And then he lied about it. And we're going to let that team come in and, and up, up end the rule of law and sow discord, for, discord further in our constitutional republic by harassing the president of the United States with a Lord knows how long trial? I, don't, I wouldn't buy into that. So by having this preliminary hearing, I think you can have your cake and eat it too. You can get the Trump um, vindication for President Trump by exposing this corruption while protecting him from the harassment of, of an abusive smear trial, which is what Nancy Pelosi and her enablers in the Senate are now trying to corner uh, Mitch McConnell into giving. So you need to call your senators and get them and, and, and talk to them about the very issues I'm talking about. I don't know what you think about what I'm saying. Uh, you may think uh, quite legitimately that they should have no witnesses. It should be done in a cursory fashion, just arguments one way or another, and that's the end of it. And that could be, that's a reasonable point of view. I don't necessarily buy into it. I think if they want this abuse of impeachment to stop, there has to be a penalty for the abusers, the great defamers, the great destroyers, because they will continue abusive impeachments. They will continue to harass the president for profound power grab reasons in a way that undermines our constitutional republic and petty criminal reasons to keep them and their allies out of jail. This impeachment is an obstruction of justice, in my view. Justice for the president, and they're trying, obviously, to obstruct justice for those allies who have been caught up in the illegal Spygate smears. So that's my initial take on the current constitutional crisis we're in. And, uh, of course, the Senate and the House have run home for two or three weeks. How often, how long do you get to stay on vacation for Christmas? Do you get two weeks for Christmas? you get three weeks for Christmas? Congress does. That's another outrage. So, along those lines, um, I know you're all frustrated that who's, you know, why isn't anyone doing anything about this, right? Well, you know what? This is why I love Judicial Watch, because I share your frustration. I'm a citizen, too. My colleagues and I are all citizens here. Our lawyers, our investigators, our fundraisers, our media folks. I often forget our administrative staff. The wheels would come off without our administrative staff. And of course, all of our supporters. We're all citizens. We're all upset about this abuse of the rule of law. 
And what is it we can do about it? And that's why I love Judicial Watch, because we can do something about it. Does it solve the problems? No. But it gives us information. It gets accountability that would never take place but for Judicial Watch's litigation. And along those lines, I'm proud to say that Judicial Watch is trying to hold Adam Schiff to account. We filed a lawsuit just a few hours ago in federal court against Adam Schiff and the House Judiciary, uh, the House um, Intelligence Committee, the Select Committee on Intelligence, over those illicit phone subpoena records that we've been talking about. We filed the lawsuit in federal court here, as I say. I'm looking for the, uh, my notes here. Ah, uh, yes. I, uh, this, is a great, this is a great headline, isn't it? Judicial Watch sues Representative Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee for phone subpoenas targeting President Trump. And this is the lawsuit. This is what it looks like. It's a complaint against Schiff and the Select Committee. So we issued this, uh, the, uh, an open records request, and I may have told you about this a few weeks ago, and it's been ignored. We asked for all subpoenas issued by the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on or about September 30th to any telecommunications provider, including but not limited to AT&T for records and telephone calls of any individuals, and all responses received to the above-referenced uh, subpoenas. So what happened is Schiff issued these illicit subpoenas, and I, they are illicit. Uh, they were secretly issued, obviously. No one knew about them. Uh, Nunez was told there were phone records that were being subpoenaed, but he only saw some numbers. He didn't know what they were about, and he was in no position to object. And because he was following the rules, he kept them secret because the rules required they be kept secret. So they got the records, and one of the targets was Rudy Giuliani, the president's attorney. So they abused their authority to get into the attorney-client relationship that is privileged of the president of the United States. So on top of subpoenaing the phone records, Evidently, they were able to look at the records they were getting on Giuliani and this Ukrainian-American who's been caught up by the Justice Department. And they started looking at who Giuliani was talking to. And they, evidently, they backtracked the records to Jay Sekulow, Devin Nunes, a member of Congress, as I said, John Solomon, Victoria Tenzing, and a host of other innocent Americans. And they published those records. So they illicitly subpoenaed the records and then published them. Mike Mukasey, who's a former attorney general, I think under President George Bush, George W. Bush, he was on uh, TV the other day, and he suggested it could be a crime to have gotten these records. Certainly, they were violative of the president's civil rights and the privacy rights of the Americans who were, whose records were published in, their fraud, in the Schiff fraud impeachment report, the coup report. So what Judicial Watch says, well, how do, we, how do we figure out what went on here? Now, Congress typically isn't subject to the open records law because they, the Freedom of Information Act that we use all the time isn't covering, it does not cover Congress. They're not subject to FOIA. So when you hear about the president being impeached because it's not transparent, he's not supposedly transparent enough for them, there's no law federal law that specifically cover, requires them to be transparent. But there is a common law 
that requires them to be transparency and uh, be transparent, and that's what we sued under. Uh, the records are of critical importance as the subpoenas were issued without any lawful basis and violated the rights of numerous private citizens. Disclosure of the requested records would serve the public interest by providing information about the unlawful issuance of the subpoenas. The requested records fall within the scope of the public's right of access to government records as a matter of federal government law. And I'm going to read my quote because... I sometimes forget what I say in the releases, and it's really good in this case. Adam Schiff abused his power to secretly subpoena and then publish the private phone records in potential violation of law of innocent Americans. What else is he hiding? Schiff and his committee ran roughshod over the rule of law in pursuit of the abusive impeachment of President Trump. This lawsuit serves as a reminder to the congressman, Mr. Schiff, the committee, and Congress that they are not above the law. Everyone's saying, no, you know, President Trump's not above, they think they're above the law. And Judicial Watch's motto, by the way, our motto and our motivation is because no one is above the law. And I know you say, well, you know, Hillary Clinton's above the law. Well, they may think they're above the law, but we have to operate as a society that no one's above the law. And in the case of the President of the United States, he's not above the law, but he's not beneath the protection of the law, which is what the Schiff scheme is about. Denying the President his due process rights and invading his privacy and the privacy of anyone who dare opposes Adam Schiff. You think the phone records he has are limited to the people I've been talking about? Don't you believe it? Who knows what other phone records he has? Does he have my phone records? Does he have your phone records? Who knows? And the House isn't going to do anything about it. The Senate majority, Mitch McConnell, he's got a very different approach. He doesn't want anything to do with Schiff coming into the Senate and testifying, as, as we've discussed. I think, there's I think they should do that. I'm, my guess is the president would be happy to see that. So I don't know how that's going to work, but Judicial Watch doesn't rely on Congress to do the right thing or to get to the full truth. We do the heavy lifting on that because Congress often fails to do that. And I'm proud of this new shift lawsuit. We thought of a way to try get accountability, a way that no one else thought of, and to the degree other people were thinking about it, they're too afraid to act. And because we have the strong support of you, the American people, we're not afraid to act. So along those lines, we were in court this week on the Clinton email and Benghazi scandal. Oh yeah, that's all over, right? It is not over. If you want to know why the president is being impeached, look at the Clinton emails. It's all designed to protect her from prosecution, in my view. How do we distract the Justice Department? How do we distract the American people from holding Hillary Clinton accountable for her crimes when it's obviously the FBI, the, FBI, the Comey corrupt FBI, the Justice Department, the corrupt Obama Justice Department, 
rigged that investigation to protect her. What do we do to fix that? How do we protect her from accountability with the new Justice Department? Let's push this Russia smear. Let's try to put Obama, uh, President Trump in jail instead and ignore the corruption. Well, thankfully, the courts haven't ignored the corruption because of this court specifically in this case, we had asked for uh, Hillary Clinton's emails in the Benghazi issue, and that's how we uncovered the Clinton email scandal. They were forced to admit they had the hidden Clinton emails because of pressure from our attorneys. And long story short, the end of last year, we received the permission to conduct discovery, gather evidence, that means get documents, bring in people for testimony, serve interrogatories, which requires sworn answers under oath. We deposed nearly 20 witnesses, had lots of interrogatories. We had all sorts of confirmation of further misconduct by not only the Justice Department and the State Department, but by Mrs. Clinton. So we've been getting this discovery all over the objections of the Justice Department and the State Department. And no, not the Obama State Department, not the Obama Justice Department, but this administration's Justice Department and State Department. Mike Pompeo, Attorney General Barr, they're running those agencies. Or are they? So we had a status conference this week because we're still seeking Mrs. Clinton's testimony and the testimony of Cheryl Mills, her top aide, who is not only her senior, I think her chief of staff at the State Department, but then she became her lawyer and she was involved in the destruction of these emails. We want some other discovery of other State Department officials who knew evidently, based on our other testimony, about what was going on. Plus, we wanted to subpoena Google and her top aide, Paul Combetta, who supposedly had taken all of her emails and sent them to a Google email account. We want to figure out if those emails are still around. So that was on the plate. So we go into court. Our lawyers on this case are Ramona Kotka, who you may have seen on our YouTube channel, and Lauren Burke, who's another Judicial Watch attorney who's also been on our uh, on this case, she's handling uh, another Clinton email case, another big Clinton email case as well. So you got the two attorneys there for us, um, and then me. I'm the client, so I'm sitting there, and I'm supposed to uh, just, I'm there as the corporate representative representing the client, and uh, so I'm representing you in that regard, aren't I? And uh, so I have to sit there and watch this. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't, I don't get to stand up and make objections and make arguments. And, uh, and what happens on the other side? The Justice Department and the State Department send in six government attorneys. Six! And they're not junior guys. They're not junior at all. Senior Justice Department and State Department attorneys. Six government lawyers to try to shut down our questions about this email issue and Benghazi. You have, as of two days ago, the Justice Department and the State Department protecting Hillary Clinton in court over her email misconduct. And in addition to that, Mrs. Clinton had her personal attorneys there, two of them, and Ms. Mills had two of her attorneys there. So that's six plus four, ten attorneys 
all on the same side against Judicial Watch. And of course, the court isn't intimidated by the number of attorneys. He had questions because I've disclosed to you how in Lauren's case, where we were asking for all of Hillary Clinton's emails, not just the ones related to the Benghazi talking points, that the FBI turned over new documents, new emails. They found to the State Department. The State Department looked at the emails and said, oh, well, there are 30 new emails here. This is years after they told us they had turned them all over to us. And the judge is like, well, what's going on here? And the response from the Justice Department, we don't know. We don't know where they found them. We can't give you the information. It's really hard to figure out. If you think the abuse of the court process is limited to FISA, you got another thing coming. We see it regularly. So I don't know how the court's going to rule. He didn't rule from the bench. But uh, Ramona, who did the arguments for us, did a great job. But I just want to let you know that we're fighting right now the Justice Department and the State Department right now on Clinton's emails. Now, that's frustrating. That is really frustrating. Uh, it doesn't slow us down. We don't pull any punches. You know, uh, because we defend the President of the United States over his, uh, over the criminal targeting of him, it doesn't mean that we pull our punches with the Trump administration generally. I want you to think about this. I guarantee you, no one else has sued the Trump administration or is in court against the Trump administration on more lawsuits than Judicial Watch as we try to get access to the information. Oftentimes about the deep state, in this case about Hillary Clinton and the State Department and its current misconduct, State and Justice Department's current misconduct, no one sued the Trump administration more. And I suspect the president would be outraged to, to kind of, when it's put, if it were put like that before him, I'm sure he'd be outraged. Can you imagine, if I were the President Trump, I'd be blowing my top to learn that my Justice Department attorneys are in there defending Hillary Clinton and trying to stop Judicial Watch from obtaining what the court wants information on, the, the level of corruption and misconduct surrounding Clinton email issue. If I were the President, I'd be blowing my top, and I'm sure he would be. Well, if he sees this, he'll probably blow his top. But we're going to keep on fighting, and uh, we'll see what happens. We have just got, we're getting new Clinton emails. We just exposed, for instance, that the Justice Department and the State Department hid until just a few months ago smoking gun Benghazi emails that show that they all knew Hillary Clinton had a private email account, and she was using it to talk about Benghazi. And if it had been disclosed in a timely way, it would have exposed the whole scam. But they hit it not only in the beginning of the scandal, but up until Judicial Watch forced them to turn it over to us. As I keep on saying, the heavy lifting does get results. And it's not perfect accountability, 
but it, we would be nowhere but for Judicial Watch. Absolutely nowhere on the IRS scandal. As I said last week, this FISA gate scandal, this IG report, if you've been following Judicial Watch, you've known all about the scandal in large measure. There are additional details by the IG, but the big picture, Judicial Watch already exposed through our FOIA litigation. Fast and Furious, you name it, IRS camp, Benghazi, no select committee without Judicial Watch. And of course, the Clinton email and pay-for-play scandals. We didn't do this for this result, but the consequence of our exposing this scandal led to Mrs. Clinton losing the presidency. And it ain't over. And yes, we're on these other scandals with Ukraine and Joe Biden. And I just said Adam Schiff we're suing. So Lord knows what else we're going to find. And I want to talk a little bit more about this FISA court because uh, it was big news this week that the FISA court uh, uh, admonished, to put it charitably, the FBI. Let me, let me put it uncharitably. The FISA court, when you interpret the order, and I'll read it, I'm going to read extensive excerpts from it, basically said they can't trust the FBI after what the IG reported on anything. So this is the order that was declassified or publicly released on December 17, 2019. And uh, one of the nice things about having access to you through this format is there are no time constraints. When I go on Fox News, I've got three minutes. When I go on media, I've got 20 seconds. When I'm, a report, when I'm quoted in the newspaper, it's one quote but we're able to get into the detail necessary for you to be educated about these big scandals that you don't get uh, from even friendly media simply because of the constraints of the format. So we've got this wonderful luxury of being able to talk at length about this issue in a way that I hope keeps your attention. This order responds to reports that personnel of the Federal Bureau of Investigation provided false information to the National Security Division of the Justice Department and withheld material information which was detrimental to the FBI's case in connection with four applications to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court for authority to conduct electronic surveillance of a U.S. citizen named Carter Page. When FBI personnel mislead the National Security Division, the Justice Department, in the ways described above, they equally mislead the court. In order to appreciate the seriousness of this misconduct and its implications, it's useful to understand certain procedural and substantive requirements that apply to the government's conduct of electronic surveillance for foreign intelligence purposes. And this is why I encourage you to read court rulings and government documents like the IG report, because the level of detail helps you understand the corruption. And uh, oftentimes uh, people say, you know, how bad is it? Well, if you think it's bad based on the news reports, they never really get into just how bad it is when you dive deep into how bad it is. And this court's, this court's order, however weak ultimately it is, and I'll talk about that, dives in deeply as to why this FISA gate scandal is so detrimental to the rule of law and deserves severe investigation, in the, mainly, mainly a criminal investigation. The, the crimes were, that were committed are legion. Title I of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, 
governs such electronic surveillance. It requires the government to apply for and receive an order from the court approving a proposed electronic surveillance. When deciding whether to grant such an application, a FISA court judge must determine, among other things, whether it provides probable cause to believe that the proposed surveillance target is a foreign power or an agent of a foreign power. Those terms are defined by FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. A finding a probable cause to believe that a U.S. citizen or other United States person as defined is an agent of a foreign power cannot be solely based on activities protected by the First Amendment. Did you hear that? So if you're targeting someone because you don't like Trump, that's prohibited by law. And you can bet that's what was going on. The court didn't just cite that for yuck's sake. An electronic surveillance application must be, uh, must be made by a federal officer in writing upon oath of affirmation, citing the, the law. When it is the FBI that seeks to conduct a surveillance, the federal officer who makes the application is a federal FBI agent who swears to the facts in the application. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court judge makes the required probable cause determination on the basis of the facts submitted by the applicant. And that's highlighted, and that's, that's emphasized, it's italicized, emphasis added by the court. A FISA judge may require the applicant to furnish such other information as may be necessary to make the determination required by law. These statutory provisions reflect the reality that in the first instance, this is the applicant's agency, the FBI in this case, that possesses information relevant to the probable cause determination as well as means to potentially acquire additional information. Notwithstanding, that the FISA court assesses probable cause based on the information provided by the applicant, Congress intended the pre-surveillance judicial warrant procedure under FISA, and particularly the judge's probable cause findings, to provide an external check on executive branch decisions to conduct surveillance in order to protect the Fourth Amendment rights of U.S. persons. So it goes on. So the court says I knew, we, they needed to provide this background, and this is what they wanted to say after they provide this and some additional background. So I'm not reading the whole page. On December 9, 2019, the government filed with the FISA court public and classified versions of the OIG report. The OIG report describes in detail the preparation of the four applications for electronic surveillance of Mr. Page. It documents troubling instances in which the FBI personnel provided information to the National Security Division, which is the Justice Department legal team that talks to the court, which was unsupported or contradicted by information in their possession. It also describes several instances in which the FBI personnel, in which FBI personnel withheld from the National Security Division in their possession, which was detrimental. Wait, let me start over on that one. It also describes several instances in which the FBI, in which FBI personnel withheld from the National Security Division information in their possession which was detrimental to their case for believing that Mr. Page was acting as an agent of a foreign power. In addition, while the fourth electronic surveillance application, which by the way was signed by Rod Rosenstein, 
for Mr. Page was being prepared, an attorney for the FBI, in the FBI's Office of General Counsel engaged in a conduct that apparently was intended to mislead the FBI agent who ultimately swore to the facts in the application about whether Mr. Page had been a source of another government agency. The information about the OGC's attorney's, uh, attorney's conduct in the OIG report is consistent with classified submission made by the FISA, made to the FISA court by the government in October of 2019 and November 27, 2019. Because the conduct of the OGC attorney gave rise to serious concerns about the accuracy and completeness of the information provided in the FISA court in any manner in which the OGC attorney was involved, the court ordered the government on December 5th, and I'll get to that order, which was just released today, to, among other things, provide certain information addressing those concerns. So what is this court talking about here? They're talking about that lawyer in the FBI, the anti-Trump fanatic, who took a document, email, from, I think, his CIA contact that confirmed that Carter Page was a friendly for the CIA and an asset and turned it upside down by changing it and saying he wasn't a contact. They're trying to tell the court that Carter Page was a bad guy because he was working for a foreign government and he was an enemy of the people. And in fact, he was working for the people and a patriot. And they told the court otherwise. The FBI's handling of the Carter Page applications as portrayed in the IG report was antithetical to the heightened duty of candor described above. The frequency with which representations made by FBI personnel turned out to be unsupported and contra or contradicted by information in their possession and with which they withheld information detrimental to their case calls into question whether information contained in other FBI applications is reliable. The FISC, the court, expects the government to provide complete and accurate information in every filing. They write every emphasis. Without it, the court cannot properly ensure that the government conducts electronic surveillance for foreign intelligence purposes only when there is a sufficient factual basis. So pretty strong stuff, huh? This is where the court blows it. Therefore, the court orders that the government shall, no later than January 10th, 2020, informs the court in a sworn written submission of what it has done and plans to do and to ensure that the statement of facts in each FBI application accurately and completely reflects information possessed by the FBI that is material to any issue presented by the application. So essentially they're saying, tell us what you're going to do to fix things going forward. No accountability, no orders that there's going to be a criminal contempt proceeding, no show cause order. The court has essentially said they can't trust the FBI on anything they're saying, which is in and of itself enough to, in my view, require the resignation of the FBI director, who, by the way, has sat on this information inexcusably for years. And anytime someone criticized the FBI, he defended the indefensible. And even today, He's still minimizing the misconduct by the FBI. But the courts, asleep at the switch. How do we know this? Judicial Watch. Because Judicial Watch wanted to find out, well, you know, we, we knew years ago, by the way, of this fraud on the courts. 
Devin Nunes alerted the courts to this years ago. Judicial Watch was raising questions about this in, what's this, August of 2018. And we asked the court for deposition of the transcripts of any hearings about these applications that were targeting the President of the United States. Again, they were targeting to Carter Page, but when you review the applications that were also obtained by Judicial Watch under the FOIA, heavily classified, which, uh, which now should be unclassified, at least now the IG is, uh, well, should have been unclassified a long time ago. There's no excuse, excuse now that the IG report has disclosed what's in it. So were the hearings targeting Carter Page? It was all about getting Donald Trump, though. First the candidate, and then the president of the United States that had FISA court hearing, FISA warrants spying on the president's guy, Carter Page, or so they thought. So we said, are there hearings, hearing transcripts? And uh, essentially the court told Congress, ignored our request largely, and they told Congress, well, ask Justice Department. So we went and asked the Justice Department. And the Justice Department told us, and told the court in our FOIA lawsuit, because we had to sue to get a straight answer from this Justice Department, the Foreign Surveillance Court considered the Page Warren applications based upon written submissions and did not hold any hearings. You know, it's really easy to defraud a court if you don't call people in and ask them questions in person, don't you think? Now, I understand the court can't hold hearings on every FISA application it gets. And I understand why they defer and rely on the FBI and the Justice Department to be forthright. But it seems to me, if we're going to have the FISA court, as the court acknowledged in its order, that this process is designed to protect the Fourth Amendment rights of the individuals targeted, including, in this case, the President of the United States, they don't hold hearings on the most significant warrants probably the court has ever considered in its, in its history. So where's the accountability for the court that was asleep at the switch? And as I say in this report, and in, in this extraordinary ruling, however strong it is, it highlights the criminal corruption at the FBI, the criminal contempt for court, in my view. They're not demanding anything in terms of any significant accountability. Just tell us what you'll do right in the future. And you know what? And we see that time and time again. The courts are way too deferential to the executive branch on substantial challenges like this. Now, it doesn't mean you don't get politically biased judges or judges who act outside their authority to target administration policies that they disagree with and pretend it's a legal disagreement or a constitutional disagreement when in fact it's just masking their political disagreement. I'm talking about the deference and the get-out-of-jail-free cards that are repeatedly given to government agencies and attorneys despite their misconduct and regularly misleading the courts. If Judicial Watch attorneys did what they did, what government attorneys have impl are implicated in doing here, we would be hauled in, our attorneys would be hauled into court and they would be 
they be put in jail immediately. Contempt of court, you can be put in jail immediately almost until the contempt is cured. They could have held, they could have hauled in the FBI director or another responsible official and put him in jail. Right out of the, right out of the gate. Not forever, obviously. But that isn't going to happen. That isn't going to happen. So they're hoping it just passes. And if I were the president, I wouldn't let it pass. Because this FISA court is coming up for authorization again. Now, you know, in many ways, the court, the, the president has the authority to spy on foreigners. The question is, what happens when Americans get caught up with foreigners? And how is that authority exercised? And the left put these courts in place to protect the people. But they don't care that Donald Trump is being targeted in a, in a wild abuse of power by a court that rubber-stamped, as I say in our statement. I said this in October of 2018, by the way. No, August 2018. It is disturbing that the foreign intelligence surveillance courts rubber-stamped the Carter Page spy warrants and held not one hearing on these extraordinary requests to spy on, this, on the Trump team. Perhaps the court can now hold hearings on how justice was corrupted by material omissions that Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, a conflicted Bruce Orr, a compromised Christopher Steele, and anti-Trumper Peter Strzok were all behind the intelligence used to persuade the courts to approve the FISA warrants that targeted the Trump team. And finally they issue an order because they couldn't avoid the truth after the OIG report. December years after they were warned. And this earlier December ruling on the judge, on the lawyer, highlights the, the attorney's involvement in this and the court wants to know what's going on. Identify all matters currently or previously before this court that involved the, idea, the uh, FBI attorney that has been referred for criminal prosecution now because of his messing around with the, the Trump warrants. And they want to know what's being done. Like I said, anyone else would have been hauled into court. They couldn't even call it a show cause order. So I'll end with some positive news. New York Times is forced to report, and they try to spin it, but it's a good, uh, uh, it, it's, it's reassuring however mildly, Durham is scrutinizing ex-SCIA director's role in Russia interference filing findings. John Durham, the United States attorney leading the investigation, has requested Mr. Brennan's emails, call logs, and other documents from the CIA, according to a person briefed on the inquiry. He wants to learn what uh, Mr. Brennan told other officials, including the former FBI director, James Comey, about his and the CIA's views of a notorious dossier assertions about Russia and Trump's about Russia and Trump associates. Notorious dossier. Glad to see it, see the New York Times finally admitting the truth there. Mr. Durham is also examining where Mr. whether Mr. Brennan, Brennan privately contradicted his public comments, including May 2017 testimony to Congress about both the dossier and about any debate among the intelligence agencies 
over their conclusions on Russia and interference, the people said. And it's unclear whether any crimes were committed. Well, I just, that's the New York Times says that, but I just read to you that Durham is investigating Brennan for perjury. Did you hear that? They didn't say it, but did you hear it in what I described? So there are two issues about uh, this perjury. Whether the dossier was used as part of the intelligence assessment about Russian interference created by the Obama deep state national security bureaucracy behind the lies, and whether there was disagreement as to the analysis of the Russian purpose of allegedly interfering in our campaigns. I've been saying something that I'm sure is going to be very controversial for the deep staters out there and the criminal left behind this dossier smear. You can't trust anything you've heard about Russia interference in our campaigns, in our elections. You can't trust it. That is not to say the Russians did not attempt to interfere in our elections, but you can't trust what the government has said about it because the government's investigation and the people running the investigation of it have been corrupted or are corrupt. And to the degree the Trump administration's intelligence agencies have bought this, that's a dereliction of duty on their part. And specifically, Durham is concerned that Brennan said there was intelligence that Putin said he wanted to do this to help Trump. The NSA said they only had moderate confidence that that was the case. Why the difference? Why the, distinct, why the distinction? Was Brennan trying to make a political point here? I suspect so. I encourage you to read the declassified intelligence assessment and you will see that it, when it comes to the analysis of the reasons behind this alleged involvement in our campaigns, because it is alleged. It hasn't been proven or adjudicated in court. It's alleged. They suggest it was to help Trump, and it wasn't. And you look at the report itself, and you will see that they were trying also to help Hillary. And the analysis could be very well be, to the degree the Russians were involving themselves at all, it was as much to cause disruption, help Trump to make Hillary more uh, weaker, help Trump to make Hillary less sure if she won. The Russians didn't know Trump was going to win. I suspect President Trump didn't know he was going to win. Everyone thought Hillary was going to win. So the Russian interference in our campaigns could have all been designed to weaken Hillary Clinton as President of the United States. You read the report, you'll see that's, a, that's an obvious possibility, but not Brennan. The CIA was collaborating in this illegal effort to spy on Trump. So Durham's investigating this very issue. I don't know if there's going to be a criminal prosecution. I suspect there won't be, but I'm hopeful. And in the meantime, Judicial Watch is investigating and suing and trying to get records to complete the public record on this, the worst corruption scandal in American history. And I'm glad they're doing some records. I want to see big grand juries operating. 
I want to see Brennan. I want news reports that Brennan had to go before a grand jury. Comey had to go before a grand jury. That's when you know something serious is going on. There's still time for them to do that. Giving them the benefit of the doubt, let's pretend that the OIG report was the, needed to be out of the way before they could go full-blown. Personally, I think that's an excuse, not a reason to delay criminal investigations. But this issue's been out there. Brennan's lies to Congress and manipulation of the process to smear Trump, then protect Hillary. And uh, I'm glad to see that Durham is asking, according to the New York Times, to write questions. Of course, the New York Times says this is adding fuel to the fire that Justice Department is pro-Trump. To the degree they're doing this, they're just competent. It's not pro-Trump. It's not pro-Trump at all. If it were pro-Trump, it would have been done two years ago. Frankly, the slow nature of this investigation suggests that the deep state is still throttling the rule of law and justice here. So this was a really big update. I appreciate you uh, staying with us, and I appreciate your support this year. Um, when is the date of the next update? I think I'll be here next week for the update. I'm not sure. Uh, but in case I don't see you, I wish you a Merry Christmas. I thank you for the support of our work this year. This has been our biggest year yet, both in terms of public support and public knowledge of our essential work on behalf of the rule of law and the Constitution. We can't do it without your support. And I know many of you out there start making year-end gifts as you're, uh, it's a big year for giving, and I encourage you to think of Judicial Watch as you uh, figure out who to support this year in terms of charitable giving. Uh, there's little there's no one else in Washington, D.C. that does the type of work we do. There's no one else in the world that does the type of work we do. And as you can see, we continually get results on behalf of you, the American people, on behalf of the rule of law, and on behalf of our great nation and its constitution. So I want to thank you for the support that you've been giving us. I encourage you to renew your support. And on behalf of my family and my family here at Judicial Watch, I extend to you and yours uh, the blessings of uh, Christmas and a happy new year and a wonderful holiday for those of you who celebrate other holidays this time of year. Thank you very much and I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.